buttons on my okay i'm bumping the thing with my elbow hold on sorry uh okay uh can you hear me now i can hear you hey there angela how are you doing good why don't you tell us about your show i do a history of wonder woman starting from uh the golden age uh original william Walton marston run uh then cover the post-crisis 80s reboot written by george perez as well as the new 52 uh, reboot with uh, Brian Azzarello. I also review episodes of the Linda Carter TV show. Uh, have been monthly show <laughs> until I broke my leg. That, that's been fun. Oh no! Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, hoping to get back soon. I'm, I'm actually going to be able to start driving myself to work starting Monday, so I'm looking forward to that. Yay! Cool. Yeah. Well, wonderful. We'd like to say thank you so much for joining us on this uh, on this uh, Star Trek Five. Is what we'll be watching. I should probably ask you once we start recording. But what <laughs> what, were, what was your impression of Star Trek Five? Oh, see, I know this is the one that they called the bad one back in the day, but I thought it was kind of uh, kind of cute. Me too. You know, it, it had, like you said, it had heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, some great character moments. Yeah, I was. Um, I think that was the last, uh, the last movie I saw. I didn't see Beyond. Beyond is not a terrible movie by any, by any means. It's actually much better than the other two Chris Pine, Kirk movies. Yeah. It was surprisingly under the radar because, like, especially as it was the fiftieth anniversary, it kind of felt like it, it didn't get much buzz. And uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of felt that it, it came and went without much fanfare, which is a little yeah. disappointing. One thing that was sort of funny I noticed is, like, after Into Darkness, a lot of fans were like, which one are they going to rip off this time? And then Beyond had a pretty, basically, original plot. Yeah. Really, it wasn't derivative of anything else, I mean, directly. And this was the... Was this the 25th anniversary movie? No. No, that was no, Star that Trek was 6. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Actually, 6 was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I read, actually, look... We're lucky that it was the 25th anniversary. I read the 25th anniversary was a part of the reason why they managed to get it made at all. Because, you know, this one flop had pretty people down on the whole idea of continuing. The well, break. actually, what they were going to do is they were going to do what they did with Chris Pine's Star Trek first. They wanted to do a prequel. Wait, for Star Trek Six was going to be a prequel? It was going to be a prequel. Um, okay. The early cadets, what they did with Chris Pine when they are at the Academy. Oh, huh. But the head of Paramount at the time, or the Paramount's parent company, decided was a big fan of William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and said, no, you need to do an original cast one first, then we'll make your movie. And By that time, TNG was over, so... Well, yeah, well, that, yeah and then, then they, just, they just they never got around to doing it. But Christians. originally, they were... I think it was Nicholas Meyer who was pitching the idea for the prequel. What's, oh, cool. What's his name? Uh, Christian Slater could have ended up being Kirk for the whole movie instead of just a quick cameo with the boots. <laughs> Coming directly off the success of Heathers. So, Angela, when, uh, when's the last time you saw this movie? Uh, yesterday. Yesterday? Uh, I All right. seen it before then, so... But I saw it when it right when it came out on video when I was a kid, so it was one of my first Star Trek experiences ever. I nice. remember I ha- I was sick or something, and the thing was was like I could stay up and watch a movie with my parents if I took whatever the medicine was I was supposed to take, like without complaint. And I did. I remember it being awful medicine too. Everything in the '80s was Paradise City. I mean, they were so in love with Mad Max. 
That's like, okay, we got this walled off fortress. People are going to ride in on horses. There's going to be, you know, long barreled guns. So, Jim, I think, is the only one here that's never seen this. I haven't seen it either. Oh, Nigel hasn't seen it either. This is going to be fun. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode for 1989 of Shore Leave. Oh, first one. Yep. We are going to cover our first um, Captain Kirk Star Trek, which is Star Trek V. Not a very popular movie, but it does turn 30 this year in uh, 2019. It's uh, June 9th, I believe, right? Crazy. Holy smokes. So we're going to be dropping this almost right on the 30th anniversary of the uh, movie coming out. Wow. And we have a large group of commentators today, probably the largest ever for a uh, movie commentary that we've had so far. First and foremost, we have special guest Angela from the Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace podcast. Hello. Welcome. Angela, could you tell us uh, quickly about your podcast? Sure. I review Wonder Woman comics uh, throughout her 75 plus year history from the original run in the 1940s to the 1980s reboot to the new 52 reboot uh, back in 2011 as well as episodes of the classic Linda Carter TV show. Wow, very cool. Well, excellent. Thank you for being a guest with us today. We also have our good friend Matthew. Hello, Hello Matt. How's it going? Eating a popsicle. Oh, yeah. Try and eat a popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Jem with us. Hello. Yay, Jem. And then our ever good friend, Nigel. Hello, everyone. And wonderful David. What's and, up? And I'm your slightly mediocre Sasha. I'm not wonderful. I'm awesome. <laughs> and let's not forget to mention that we are going to be on the Two True Freaks Network with this episode. Oh, and we want yes. to thank Chris and Scott for hosting us for our shore leaves. I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be talking about this movie because it's the 30th anniversary. So uh, if we're the first that you heard, uh, welcome to what is destined to be a year of hearing a lot about Star Trek V. And uh, our side project going on is a podcast called Next Generation's First Generation, where we review... Uh, next generation uh, episodes on their 30th anniversary so if you look on a calendar of the 30th anniversary when that episode came out guess what there's a corresponding watch log podcast with that but enough of side promotions our main event is star trek 5 this came out in june 9th 1989. Sadly, I don't remember watching this in the theaters, but I saw it on the good old VHS that I got from our public library. Uh, that was uh, Star Trek was actually what got me into the library system. Yeah! You can tell we have a few bibli bibli bibliophiles here in the room. Uh, so, so what you can do, you're more than welcome to uh, fire up your DVD, Netflix, CBS All Access Pass, or random image generator, and we're going to give you a countdown of 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and you can watch along, or you can do whatever you want. You want to exercise, walk the dog, garden, play video games, or drive in traffic. <laughs> Here it comes. We're going to give you that countdown of 5, 4, Three, two, and one. And our episode is starting up. All right. Here we go. We're probably going to see the Paramount logo first. Yep. The stars, they are a flying. What is that mountain? It's the Paramount. Mount Paramount. Oh, where, really? uh... that's, that's actually <laughs> the name? 
<laughs> I always thought it'd be a cool slope to just slide right down the left side of that hill. Isn't if you wanted to die. Like that in Indiana Jones. You, you uh, can hear a goofy going, <laughs> Nimbus 3. In the neutral zone. So yes. essentially they're in Star Trek Switzerland. Yep, between uh, Romulan space and... Uh, it's supposedly an area that intersects both the Federation, Romulan, and Klingon Empire. Interesting. And we actually, we get into the politics of the neutral zone very well in this movie. Here's our dirt farmer, farming dirt, drilling holes, looking for that gold tooth he lost back 15 years ago when he had the, when he had the, the, the drunken fight with Klebus the Klingon. This could, this, this could have been... Luke Skywalker, if Obi Wan had waited a minute. <laughs> I was just going to say this is very Star Wars stamp to it. Yeah, well, they're they're digging for water in the desert, so ah. with smoking holes. Obvious, it's a complete opposite of water. What you want to find? <laughs> I'm going to dig a hole for water. Oh, more smoke! Jeez. Here comes could the dark be, horse. Could be gases or something under there. Frodo, beware the nine riders! <laughs> <laughs> we seek a shrubbery! <laughs> it's a unicorn. <laughs> That's an awfully big horn there. A masculine unicorn. There are masculine unicorns. It's a manicorn. How do baby unicorns get made? So this is our mystery protagonist or antagonist? Antagonist. Antagonist. <laughs> And he is, he is judging this guy. See, if it were me, yeah, I'd definitely kill you for a bunch of empty holes. Then that would have been the end of the movie. All he has is the space he digs. <laughs> and braces, apparently. Anybody else getting a Voldemort impression from this Oh, game yeah, I didn't oh. even think of that. If Voldemort had no teeth. Right. You know, all we'd have and to do is yeah. cut that nose off. This guy needs more scalp wax. <laughs> and you can obviously see the stubble. So some weird stranger danger empathy going on here. This is a counseling session in the desert. <laughs> a forced counseling session, it looks like. Yeah, well, it's the same counseling school that Deanna Troy went to. Right, I was <laughs> thinking that. The Deanna the Troy School of, of uh, Psychotherapy. Yeah, of announcing your pain to everybody who's listening. Yeah, I think Troy, <laughs> in her dorm room at um, Starfleet Academy, had a big poster of Cybox sticking his tongue out above her study desk. Oh, kind of like, uh, <laughs> like the Einstein poster? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this guy's got skills. He, he rode up on a dark horse on a stranger's land, had a gun pointed at him, walked up, said, you're not going to shoot me. In fact, I think you're in a lot of pain. And just brought this guy to his knees. So obviously he's got some kind of weight and influence. That is some skill right there. William Shatner modeled him off of uh, all the televangelists they had at the time. Makes for, sense. For screaming about things on, you know. Uh, on te- on television, yeah. so a televangelist is kind of like the miracle healer. Yeah, comes up yeah. the on people stage. who are who are sitting there, you know, where you can call in and pledge money to their to their ministry, and they're they're, they're they, you know usually have like a you know a pound of makeup on, and they're screaming about that stuff, and you know it looks incredibly fake, but 
was that was a big thing back when this was going on. Is you had these, you know, you go to the airport, <laughs> Ramada, and see them. So they're looking. So this Vulcan here, this emotional Vulcan, is looking for a starship. Oh wait, he's not an elf. He's not an elf. <laughs> I'm Santa Claus. He would have made it. He would have made a really good Dobby. Dobby's looking for a spaceship. His role just before this was he had played LBJ and uh, was doing a, a traveling uh, play. And he was playing LBJ. Oh, the uh, actor for Cyborg there. His claim to fame, Lawrence Luckinville, is that he's married. He was married to um, one of Lucille Ball's daughters. Oh wow! Huh. Oh, there we go. See, I was still having a really hard time believing that we were still in the Star Trek universe <laughs> with that opening sequence there. Yeah. yeah, you know they. This is, you know, Jerry. This is the second uh, movie Jerry Goldsmith did the score for. This is why they were using the, you know. Score the theme for the first movie, which they repurposed for TNG. He did those two and the last three TNG movies. So five, he did five out of the ten movies that were made when he was alive. He did half of them. Oh wow! I had no idea. So being a font geek, I'm just going to admire the really awesome font here in the opening sequence. Just saying. It's a good font <laughs> and it's well used. Uh, I think they use it all the way up to Star Trek VI, right? Yeah, this was called the movie era font. They had the original era, they had this, they had TNG, then Deep Space Nine has a modified version of this. Huh, okay. And then Voyager has its own font, too. That's good to know. I, I wonder if Futurama pulled the Nimbus name for the starship after the planet. So I don't the, think so. It's no. just a kind of cloud. Yeah. It's a kind of yeah, puffy it's cloud. Just, yeah, it's a cloud. <laughs> Planet Earth. <laughs> Yosemite is just as beautiful as it looks, by the way. So this actually is Yosemite. Yes. Yosemite. Okay. And this is really is uh, William Shatner rock climbing here. Nice. Yes, yes and no. Well, he's climbing a rock. He, he climbs, uh, but they messed up when they were filming it with the with, with, with uh, camera angles in daylight. So when you actually see him more on the rock face, it's one they built in a sound studio. Okay. Uh, I yeah, do... they're not going to risk Will Shatner for, for stuff like that. Yeah, they... they well, yeah. I do remember in the the making of, they had a little expose 20-minute making of. It might actually be in the special bonuses on the, this DVD that we're watching, is that they show pictures of the crew hanging out on the rock face and taking... Shots and that Shatner is doing these climbing scenes. Yeah, he took he took climbing lessons and he did a lot of them. The problem they did is when they when they got back to uh, edit the movie, they found that the way they were holding the camera, basically, it, they 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 messed up and they they, they they were getting light in the wrong spots and they got the wrong angle. Oh no! So they couldn't use a lot of the footage that they shot in Yosemite. Now, if Mission Impossible 2 has taught me anything, he's facing the wrong way while he climbs. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, you're supposed pretty. to you're supposed to rock climb, you know, facing away from the mountain with your arms splayed as far away from yeah. your body as possible. <laughs> essentially in the most dangerous way possible. And I don't are you usually like having some kind of remote control just out of reach on a ledge that you're trying to get to? <laughs> <laughs> and then you and the villain are competing to push the button on that remote. <laughs> I would like to say, though, 
I've always appreciated in Star Trek how they take the time to show the characters doing things that they love, who they are, that's not in the uniform. Those are cool yeah, shoes. Yeah, had a lot of that. I liked that. Mm-hmm. Well, me too. After watching two seasons of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, you know, the, the first two seasons, it's nice to see you know, real cohesion between actors, which mm-hmm. that did not have. You, know, you tell these were people that worked together and you really felt that they knew one another. Yeah. I guess, is this movie technically a prequel because since TNG exists now? I mean... I don't think so. It's two different timelines within the same canon. I wouldn't say timelines, but two different, two different. Yeah, it's 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 not an early Picard story. It's a continuation of Kirk and. He called out her the the shore leave. <laughs> yeah. Free advertising. Free advertising. This is probably some of the best Doctor McCoy. Yeah. That we're that we're gonna that we've ever seen from him. It's just. It's natural. Yeah, it's it's he's angry at the situation and he ain't gonna he ain't gonna be afraid to call it out. You're nuts. This is not fun. <laughs> so Spock just pops up out of nowhere with these with these anti gravity boots. Spock in the box. Twelve hundred points of interest in your seventy, you think me. I regret to inform you that the record for free climbing... They're all so young! no danger of being broken. Oh! Spock just calls him out. Some of the earlier movies, and was it Star Trek II, where Shatner's like, oh, I feel so old. It's like, man, I met you like a few years ago. You're in your 80s now. Come on, this is absurd. Yep. How old are these actors right here? Late 50s. They look good for late 50s. When when I was a kid watching this, I'm like, look at these old people doing young people things, <laughs> and and I, I'm I'm 15 years out out from being these two right here, turning 40 this year. It's goddamn irresponsible. <laughs> And that is just typical McCoy. He's love, down there with the binoculars watching them. I love his neckerchief there too. So so McCoy's the lurker here. Oh, and Uh-oh. up, down he goes. <laughs> Superman. Oh, beautiful blue Green's screen. Green, yeah. green or blue. Well, back yeah. then it was still blue screen. I heard that they were going to have Lucasfilm do the effects, but they were busy that summer with all the other blockbusters, yep. so they had some, you know... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out at this time. Ghostbusters 2. Oh. I'm hardly in a position to disagree. <laughs> so Spock just saved Kirk's life again. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on Nimbus 3, our unnamed yeah. writer. Are all the Paradise on, City. Are all the cities on this planet Won't named after Guns N' Roses me. songs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take me down to the Paradise City where the holes are smoky and the Vulcans are pretty. <laughs> oh, won't you please take me home? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they yeah. have some good hard rock, like 80s rock hair there. Yeah. I, the, the cat dancer was all Shatner's idea, by the way. <laughs> I'm shocked, shocked, I tell you. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that water pool? That's water pool. It's, the, they, they, it's a joke. They made a pool out of the pool game. Uh, uh, yes. Oh, three-breasted? What yeah. the you heck? Know that, you know that 
the next, the following year, Total Recall. Um, yeah. The woman. Funny, here's a Star Trek connection to that. The um, the woman who played the three breast woman in Total Recall played Sonia Gomez on TNG. Yeah, and she unf- was in uh, Q Who, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, and unfortunately, I read the reason she didn't appear in more episodes is because they kind of thought the whole three-breasted thing conflicted with teen, with Welcome Star Trek's family-friendly image. What she says is that she got a haircut that the producers said was okay, and then they wanted to come back and do reshoots, and were like, why is your hair different? Huh. They, they had no time to mess with her. I really like how they have all these washed-up dignitaries here. We have one human, one Romulan, with excellent eyeshadow, by the way, and a Klingon. Now, there shouldn't be a Romulan there at all. Well, they're part of the Neutral Zone Treaty, right? Yeah, well, Except nobody's seen a Romulan. No, they've seen Romulans. The no, Romulans had opened d- diplomatic relations with the Federation during this era. That was the. They have an ambassador in Star Trek VI, remember? Well, and what happens is, is because uh, of the assassination attempt. They go and they close off their borders until the next generation. The Tomate incident that marked the point of no contact for the Romulans was in like early 24th century. Mm. So here's here's David Warner, one of the greatest character actors of all time, doing basically nothing for this whole movie. Luckily, they get him back for Star Trek VI as yeah, a Klingon. He's, he's basically just half hungover for this entire movie. <laughs> oh, I thought, is he not acting? Is he really drunk? No, he just, I don't know, but that's his whole role in this movie, is to look disheveled and half drunk. So what we miss in the conversation is you have the diplomats, the representative of the three major powers that established the neutral zone, Saying how you know this this town of paradise on Nimbus Three was supposed to usher in a new age of peace, and oh look at that, Cybok's riding a unicorn. So it looks it looks like in Paradise Paradise City there are some people who have sunglasses on and appetite for destruction. That's right. Yeah! <laughs> oh! <laughs> We love I you. I see what you did there. We love you. That's pretty good. <laughs> so Klingon pours himself some more dirt. Uh, so let's go back really quick. The three powers are saying that the residents of this neutral planet, which was supposed to be the, 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 the new eve of peace, has turned into destitute, uh, poverty-stricken resource, poor uh, neighborhood where everyone just kind of makes their own guns and it's the wild, wild west. So it's a space western. It's a space western, yeah. Excellent. And so, Star Trek is originally a space western. Was that the, was the original idea. Was, was, space. was the real wild west this decrepit? <laughs> Probably. So if you were out in the main frontier away from the, the gold mines or the farming towns, yeah, if you were just out in the desert, that's what it would look like. Cybok has actually pulled a play out of the uh, Communist Revolution uh, playbook where he speaks to the farmers of the land, gets them to organize, weaponize, and then they storm the city. He's taken over Paradise City and uh, now he wants to lure the Enterprise to the Paradise. Oh, the Enterprise A. Beautiful ship. And this unfortunate never win anywhere set up for a relationship between Scotty and Uhura. That would have been a good relationship. I thought that was weird. Did yeah. you? 
Weirder than her and um, Spock? No, not weirder than her and Spock. Yeah. Definitely not weirder than her and Spock. <laughs> that should have never happened. Weirder than her and the Mylar bustle she's got? Oh, those aren't, that's not a bustle. No, she brought dinner. Food. That's food. Uh, space ice cream. It's uh, like MREs. It's a Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> Stop breaking everything. Enterprise acknowledge. I don't wonder why those guys in the background are wearing radiation suits on the bridge. <laughs> it's that broken. <laughs> Maybe the bridge is like the designated break room. So, why would they even ask the Enterprise to jump in on this mission? The ship's not ready. Skeleton crew. The fact that they, the screen isn't on makes it look like they're like building a movie set. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's it's basically they brought out the cast food table on the bridge and, and just, just filmed the break time. We're making good time. I didn't remember that Chekhov and, uh, and uh, oh, it kills me. I don't remember his name. Sulu. <laughs> are there in the woods with them? They're actually somewhere else. They're not in a, they're in a different forest. It's in the deleted scenes, but they're at Mount Rushmore, actually. You know, I read that the executives, because Star Trek Four was such a hit, they like had them add more humor. We've been caught in a... So... Oh, yeah. The windstorm, blizzard. And Oh, they're messing with each other. <laughs> We're going through a tunnel. <laughs> it's a miracle. Walter is a funny guy. We like him. I really love Chekhov in uh, the whale movie. Yeah. Star Trek 4. Yes. And that was improv too. They were actually asking people on the street. They they weren't they weren't uh, getting extras. So bourbon and beans. So the timing's a little off. They have red alert, right? And then all of a sudden, presumably another four or five hours have passed. It's dark and they're they're eating pork and beans. Oh, it is beans. You know, I was just joking. What do you mean? I mean, it's it, southern beans. It, 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 <laughs> could be on a, you know, they could be in a different part of the orbit. The Enterprise is probably most likely over San Francisco, but we don't know that. I mean, they could be. Well, I'm just, I'm going back to the original assumption that Chekhov and Sulu are right there. With oh, no, they're they're up near uh, Mount Rushmore. Oh, okay. they had a in one of the cut scenes they pan up and you see they added a face to Mount Rushmore. Oh no, that would have been cool. Um, now in t- uh, 1989, they do not fart during this bean scene. Do you think that we would be able to keep that level of decorum in the 21st century, or do you think there would have to be farting? There'd have to be farting. They talk about farting, but they don't fart. Blazing Saddles was like 15 years before this, though. Different kind of a movie, though. If the uh, if the Orville ever makes a movie, they do a scene like this. They will absolutely be doing gas. Yeah, works. but in Star Trek, no, I don't. Human life is far too. I think if the, if the Orville was doing this, they'd have someone drunk and fall into the fire. 
They might do it on Discovery, and then you'd have, like, Burnham talk about the scientific cause for causing gas or something and just bore the hell out of everybody, but... That was interesting how they were having a back-and-forth, um... I don't know anybody's name, Spock Spock. and Bones. Yeah. They were having a conversation, and, um, and he said, Spock, you don't read as human, and Spock goes, oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Does he not like being human? So, the Spock and Bones relationship is an interesting one. Spock always has to defend himself against Bones for being an emotionless Vulcan. Spock is very proud of who he is, and he knows who he is, and he doesn't feel like he has to change for anybody. Where Bones is kind of coming from the Dr. Pulaski approach is that, why don't you feel anything? What's wrong with you? All you have is green blood. Where's your humanity? You're half human, too. What's wrong with you? And he constantly kind of rides that edge, but in an adversarial friendship sort of way, I mean, he he is there for him. Jem, there is your there is your gadget right there. Did you see that? A marshmallow? Is it a marshmallow that tastes like watermelon? No, he makes it in a little container. I need one. It's it's a magic gadget that makes marshmallows on demand. I need one. Angela, you said they used to sell those? I, I believe, I don't, I obviously didn't make it, but there, I've, I've seen videos where it's like a plastic toy, you store marshmallows in it, you press a button and one pops up. That sounds yeah. amazing. I must get my hands on one. Oh, no. Every, everybody, everybody is just done. So Spock has searched the cultural database. Camp Town Races. Camp Town Races in the song. You know, he'd make a good Foghorn Leghorn. McCoy. (laughs) I'll tell you, boy. I'll tell you, boy. If you really want to catch a chicken, here's what you do. (laughs) Except Kirk just said he's from Iowa, though. No, Kirk's from Iowa. We never... We never establish where uh, McCoy's from, do we? Yeah, he's from the... He's from... Where is it? Uh, Kentucky. No, uh, um, um, yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee. In that, in the I DS, can see that in the DS Nine episode where they go back to Trouble with Tribbles, like Dax says she was a schoolmate of his at Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Where's Ole Miss? In Mississippi. Can I just say I haven't actually heard Shatner sing? I've only heard I've only heard him do his like Shat Rock spoken word. <laughs> this is the most singing you'll ever see him do, by the way. I wonder, does the new Rocket Man movie have any mention of Chatner? <laughs> not, that, not, that, not that it would, but you know. Post-credit scene. Wasn't it Spock's idea to sing a sing-along, and now, now he's not participating? Because life is not a dream. Yeah, life is. Wait, when did Spock die? He died in Star Trek II. Uh, and, and then he came back to life with Technobabble. McCoy was a big part of bringing oh, him back. Right, yeah. right. Spock stored his soul inside McCoy. That's right. <laughs> it's like, like, it's a few hours later and Spock's like, hey, you're right, man. Life really is a dream, you know? It's like, <laughs> whoa, I've got five fingers on each hand. They can touch everything but themselves. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I would like to see a drunk Spock. That would be interesting. Oh my goodness, that'd be hilarious. But I don't know, 
would he be able to even get drunk with his metabolism? I think he would. What I imagine we'll is figure it out. there's a there's a nice Voyager probe gets destroyed. And the old and the old Klingon music for the first movie. Voyager is being Star Trek like early Earth spacecraft travel way further than they should, like, in Spacey, this late 20th century cryogenic ship somehow manages to, like, make it all the way to the stars. Yeah. Well, in the Star Trek universe, time and distance are greatly exaggerated. When I was a little boy, I would rent these movies from the library... And then I'd get my Casio Walkman, yes. and I'd put it up to the speaker, and I would record the songs. And I just loved the Klingon song. I'd get pumped, man. I would jump up and down. Am I still obligated not to ask what the Casio Walkman is? Oh. <laughs> is, that, oh. is that gun stop motion? Yeah, it was stop motion. How it worked was, you'd get these little... They'd give kids, especially... Oh. Like recorders, mm-hmm. I had one for ninety-minute tapes. And I would do the same thing, where I just record the audio for movies, and then play it. You know, while I was playing with action figures or whatever. It's essentially it's a tape recorder, but a little oh. handheld one. Okay. So there we see uh, the distress call being sent to the Klingons. And this Klingon here is thinking, well, if the Federation is going to go to Nimbus, we need to go to Nimbus too. And maybe we will engage a Federation ship. Which I don't understand, because I thought they were at peace. Not yet. The guy comes across as kind of a rogue. Oh. All Klingons are rogue. Well, true. They have this really bad, like, plausible deniability. Oh, well, that was just that one guy who was crazy for the honor of his house. He, he's not representing us. And so there were no other transporters on the entire planet that could have been yeah, that. that gets me. They're, they're going in to rescue dignitaries on a ship that doesn't even have a transporter. If you have a transporter, you just lock onto their signals, beam them out of there, no problem. But right. no, we've got to send the one ship that we've got with Jim Kirk. Uh, from so from Earth. Even though it doesn't have working transporter. Yeah, so be, so what what we're basically saying is that between Earth and the neutral zone, there are no other ships available. Oh, man. Hey, there's the moon. Looking for... Uh, yeah, look at all those cities that you can't t- see <laughs> in the... In the reflection. Uh, one first contact. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, maybe they're just building them. Well, true. That's like a, another 50-some years. <laughs> they just... Wait, did they just quote Melville? No. <laughs> uh, what's his... McCoy thought that they did and then Spock corrected him. John Meesville. But you don't know Roe, 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 Priorities. You think that Spock would have retained more information from McCoy after that mind meld a few movies back? It wasn't a mind meld, though, remember? It was, oh, he was just, just carrying a... his soul. It wasn't his mind. They remember, because in Star Trek f- uh, IV, they talk about his... His Katra. Well, no, his. they were retraining his mind in the Vulcan way, so he's now more Vulcan than he was before. Ah, uh, okay. His mom had raised him half, to be half-human, half-Vulcan originally when he was a boy, but when he was reanimated... They re- he even says, they retrained me in the Vulcan way, so he's a little less understanding of human things. Okay. A gray-looking shuttle. Uh, yeah, as a TOS fan, it's good to see there's a, an updated version of the Galileo. 
Right. Well, you know, I, I always thought that next-gen's shuttle lines were too hard and angular, so to see a sloped shuttle was really nice. And then uh, then next-gen kind of goes into weird jelly bean mode, uh, where everything's too round. There's Scotty just bitching at people. I like McCoy's jacket. There's that computer monitor just hanging out. <laughs> Oh, it's got to show which way they're going. Yeah. On the, on the turbo lift. Right. They won't yeah. know if they're going up if there's not a swipey uh, you know, line going up and down. Right. I, I hope they were able to scrape off the Apple Macintosh sticker on the <laughs> monitor there before they put it in. Nothing's working on this ship. The doors aren't working. But we've got to use this ship. We can't have... We're, we're on Earth. We can't have Kirk commandeer another ship. Right. No, no, no. It's got to be the if you listen clearly, you can hear people hammering and using saws and pounding uh, wood. And like, I like it. This is a... <laughs> it's like, what is with the women's hairdos in this movie? So uh, oh, the, the admiral in, uh, on the screen here is actually Harv Bennett, huh. the executive producer. And the yeoman, the one who gave him his jacket, is uh, William Shatner's oldest daughter. No way. Go climb a rock. Sounds like an insult. So they could get Bob Newhart to play this admiral. <laughs> I just saw Kirk's shirt. It's amazing. Uh, Captain uh, Kirk, you're going to go to this nim- Nimbus planet, and it's it's going to be kind of dangerous. And <laughs> Gosh, he looks so young. No. His hair gets taller and taller every time I see him. <laughs> You know, it is the 90s, uh, so this, or 80s, this 89. Yep. Uh, you know, he could have had, like, the uh, the Eddie Murphy tall haircut. Yeah. Like, where it's, like, five or six inch uh, sculpted, carved fro going up. Yeah. That's I don't think it was available as a toupee yet, though. I mean, he, he is totally tooped out here. So, uh... One of the continuity questions fans asked early on is, why does the bridge look different in every movie? And the answer to that was, the early answer to that was, it's a modular design. You can plug and play these different modules for different missions. And they, they, really, they, they really address that, actually, in the next movie, Undiscovered Country. And we did use a lot of uh, the next generation sets, believe it or not, in this film. Oh yeah, they're they are pretty obvious when they pop up. That's a lot of water to be carrying there. Yeah, it's funny that he doesn't just have it in you know like a big water sack with a, a drinking straw on it. This bridge set is actually the one they use in Star Trek like Four. <laughs> yeah, right. What's that, Matt? This is actually the bridge set they use from Star Trek Four. Oh, it's cool. not a brand new bridge set. Angela was saying something about water. Oh, I'm just saying it's the future. They should have dehydrated water. <laughs> <laughs> dehydrated water. Just add water. So this Klingon wants to make a name for himself, so he's going to go after Kirk. Uh, we bring down Kirk. Oh, we will be the greatest warriors. And then I'll put it up on YouTube. He'll put it up on his MySpace page. <laughs> There is a great 
There's a great cartoon panel about uh, Captain Kirk trying to use his uh, voice recognition software, and it just isn't working. Uh, he tries normally, Captain's Log, da-da-da-da-da, and the computer won't record it. And so uh, McCoy or somebody suggests, why don't you talk slower? And he goes, Captain's Log, started. One, two, three, four, five. And so that's the only way the dictation software would work is for him to stagger every syllable. And so that's the joke, is that's how he continues to go. Have we seen that logbook thing before? I don't, I don't think so. No, that was made for the, for this for this movie. And it kind of goes away. I think it's kind of interesting that they have uh, a giant box on it that says system failure that'll that, to light up. It's like, whoever designed it knew this thing was going to break so often they needed to include a giant pre-made <laughs> light that says system failure. Galactic Army of Light. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a cult. <laughs> Is this uh, just about the time the Heaven's Gate cult was, yeah, that was doing their big that thing? Eight, that was eight years later. Eight years later? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it existed as a cult at the time, but... But back in the late 80s, people knew about the tracksuit cults. I haven't... Why is the camera so high up off the ground? <laughs> That's the other big thing, is that nobody... Nobody thought anything would be digital in the future. It all looks like it's shot on video and using, you know, video editing effects. And... But they have touchscreen uh, controls on this one, I've noticed. Yeah. They're getting Which there. Is, I, I mean, well, I guess Next Gen had just come out, so they, they had that idea there. Well, this is, uh, Spock is having a moment. We're, now, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag now and that, say that Cybok... Is Spock's brother, but the viewer doesn't know this. The it's a next generation set there. Yep. yep. The crew doesn't know this yet. And so Spock is carrying this weight. Well. I love this room. What a great room. room. Wood floor, a helm. Helm's wheel, I should say. But he does seem to remind me of someone my youth. He reminds me of me. So what would you call this room? The observation lounge? Kind of a lounge, yeah. Mini museum. Spock is being a little too meta for his own good right here. I would not... It's slightly illogical that he's not saying, oh yeah, BT Dubs, he's my brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's really dancing around it. He's he's building up the history of, of Cybok and who he's supposed to be. But he didn't follow his plan of greatness that society pulled out for him. Instead, he decided to embrace uh, emotions and feelings and kind of throw logic out the window, which is a recurrent theme. It seems like Star Trek is obsessed with with breaking the breaking the Vulcans out of their logic mold. Uh, I almost when you see a misogynistic person talking about Catholic schoolgirls in the same way, you know, people want to get people want to get the Vulcans to show emotions to the point where they take it to really ridiculous levels like making holodeck videos like Vulcan Love Slave. It's, <laughs> I mean, I really don't understand. It's like, why can't you just let them be emotionless people that are cool with what they do? Captain, we're receiving transmission from Paradise City. 
where the men need to know our intentions. Respond with static. Let them make what happens with I'm sorry, I have to ask if this came out before or after Paradise City. Alright, the song? No, that was like, I think, the album, I think, 87, I think that was. Yeah, you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because that's all that I keep thinking about now. The next generation transporter room behind Scotty there. Jerry Goldsmith did the music for this, by the way. Um, so Angela, how did you get into Star Trek? Oh, see, my, my daddy raised me right on classic 60s sci-fi that he grew up with. So nice. Star Trek, Lost in Space, Twilight Zone, all that fun stuff. So for me, Star Trek is mostly the original series. There you I've go. a bit of the later shows, but not, not nearly as much. Yeah, to me, I got introduced to it more through the movies. We had, um... Star Trek would show in in a two hour block. Would have the original series and then uh, Next Generation. And for whatever reason, like my mom did not want me to watch uh, the original series. The movies were fine, but like if I think it was you know on a Saturday evening, you know TV came on when Next Generation came on, not when the original series came on. So I've only seen like a handful of original series episodes. I've seen all these movies a bunch. When I first started watching Star Trek, I was also introduced to the TOS, but I really thought it was POS, to tell you the truth. I just could not get into it. I thought I thought everybody was just kind of a overgeneralized character, char- characterization of themselves. Uh, so I was really happy when Star Trek Next Generation came out, but I really liked the movie's the TOS movies a lot more than the TOS show. So how I know these characters and relate comes strictly from the movies themselves. <laughs> this is fun with um, Chekhov pretending to be the captain of the Enterprise. He is a captain at this point, if I'm not mistaken. What? Yeah. Really? Everybody, Everybody's a captain. They're just all together on that ship. Pretty much. Yeah. It's All funny, right. in Kirk's autobiography that he writes, he even addresses that. He goes, you know, it's some McCoy walks up one day and just says, you know, everybody is, who, who isn't a captain? I'm a captain, Spock's a captain, Scotty's a captain, <laughs> Sulu's a captain. It's just... All right, they're going to do something here that makes 100% bonkers no sense. Is that oh, yeah. Uhura <laughs> and her fan dance. What? the heck is going on here? Most obvious trap in the world. Uh, we're on this random desert planet and there's a woman with, with scantily clad with fans. Why do you not realize that this is a trap? We've yeah. never seen anything like this before. I mean, there have to be women on this planet and I, I, I just don't what did what did the the actress feel about this? That's what I want to know. It's like uh, I have re- actually listened to the audiobook of her uh, biography. She uh, she was she was down to do it and uh, was was complimented by DeForest Kelly quite a bit about what a what a job she did. I'm just looking at Jem's face right now for this scene. It's a little. <laughs> Why are these these guys? They're crawling. They're not even walking to her. It's like. Oh, Hello, boys. man. 
I've always wanted to play Toad Captain Buddy. And she just goes full Earth a kit for that, too. Yeah, she does. <laughs> I mean, she, she rocks it. She owns it, but... Couldn't they just walked up and said, "Hey, we're we're looking for the bathroom." By the way, here's my gun. <laughs> I think the saving grace in that scene was that you know she was showing her power over people rather than being completely reduced to just being eye candy. So yeah, I don't know. I think most people can uh, understand a, a honey pot trap when you right. see it. All these guys, these are guys who dig holes for smoke, thinking it's water. Maybe it was vapor? The hell, they need something to condense it with, though. Right. Sorry, trying to use logic on Star Trek V. I know, I know. (laughs) That is a really cool neon sign, though, with the uh, the cat lady wagging her tail, or flicking her tail. I do like these blue unicorns, which you could... Did they only turn blue at night? Yeah. I didn't notice that. Do you think they're uh, phosphorescent unicorns? They might be. Why would you shoot a laser at a mirror? It's a floodlight. It's a floodlight, but it was mirror-operated if you noticed that. It wasn't bloodshed. I wouldn't wait. Come back. So, stupid question. Yes. Is that Chekhov's real accent? No. No. Okay. No. 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 What I thought was funny was with um, you know Anton Yelton who played Chekhov in the in the other movies. Everybody thought that was his real accent. Really? Yes, yeah. because his name is Anton Yelton, oh. and he was born yeah, into Russia. Were yep. So he would have picked up the accent from them, just copied it. And they brought him in for the Russian connection. Originally, he was not part of the series, and then they brought him in quickly. A big old laser Gatling gun there. That was the last unicorn right there. <laughs> she did get did not get the opportunity to be herded to the sea by the big red bull. No, Amalthea. So, are we in the shining now? <laughs> why why this why the stripper decides to jump in the fight, I do not know. <laughs> Like that doesn't happen on a regular basis. At least it's Spock. I, I want to know what this guy on the television is selling. <laughs> he's selling the planet. They said they spared no expense. He's doing the, the whole job. Oh, come to Paradise Planet or Paradise City, whatever it's called. It's so great here. Why? Why is she dead now? He just threw her in a pool of water. She can get up. She has three breasts, but only one lung. I guess. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so what's the name of the uh, Terran ambassador there? The actor is David Warner. I can't remember what the name of the character is. He would have done great in Die Hard. Yes, he would have. Because uh, those, those are the roles that he always plays. Yeah. Kind of weird. David Warner, to me, doesn't, like... At least, he doesn't seem like a particularly villainous guy. Like, Alan Rickman has a much more villainous-sounding voice and... And a name, too. <laughs> well, when Alan Rickman was first uh, 
auditioning for roles, one of the reasons he was turned down for a couple roles, uh, the, the, the casting team just said, it sounds like your voice is coming from the end of a speak, uh, end of a sewer pipe. Huh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Spock. Spock, it's a reunion. Spock has not yet revealed that they're bros. Don't touch me, bro. Star Trek has a common theme of broken families. Have you noticed that? Everybody has a broken family. Just like Disney. Yeah. My forehead's a little higher. My beard's a little bushier. But it's the same old guy. (laughs) Remember that dance we used to do when we were kids that mom loved so much? Well, Spock, since I've last seen you, I moved to Vermont and started an ice cream company. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things that you know had to have happened to Spock because he has a human mother. That people would come visit and she would make him do little things that she thought were cute for audiences. Oh, it's so cute yeah. when Spock says ice cream. <laughs> Say ice cream, Spock. I've seen that, though. Like, I've visited families, and some adult will trot out the kid to perform. It is awkward. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Something very large. (laughs) And it's dotted by pants. Wink, wink. He does have a very Santa Claus air about him. He, he, he gets a little out Santa Claus by the uh, Airsoft's God later on, but. Oh, you fool. Oh, you silly man! <laughs> so, for those of you not watching along, if you're listening to this while you're gardening or exercising or just uh, hanging out in traffic, so a rescue team went down to Nimbus 3, and they find themselves captured, and now it's an intellectual showdown between Cybok and the Enterprise crew, and they're moving forward with their plans to board the ship and take it over. And what we're about to see is that Cybok has this unique ability to have a really quick one-minute one-to-one with somebody, and all of a sudden, they support his mission. So, almost like a con man, he says, Let me tell you about this timeshare I'm going to share with you. And the next thing you know, you're buying the farm. Yeah. The Klingons are on the way. They want to they wanna fight Kirk. That's the only reason they're there. They have established the Klingon language now. With its own syntax and verbiage. So, like, why do all the women in this movie have penis hair? Yeah, that is a popular hair. The Romulan lady had it, and that Ensign had it, and everybody had it up it. in a bun. Yeah, they like those in the original series, those beehive. Yeah, but it, but these aren't these aren't yeah those aren't these aren't beehives. They're like bee shafts. <laughs> I love the red alert sound. That red alert sound, again, it's the Dalek noise. If you ever are on a Dalek ship, you hear that eh, 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 in the background. Very environmental. You don't actually think that they, uh, they did not superimpose the footage of the Enterprise in that view screen. I think they projected it on a monitor. That's kind of cool. No! No reply. 
Remain on course. So Cybok uh, wants to just ram his way on the ship. I feel like it wouldn't be as difficult as they make it seem to be to manually fly a shuttlecraft into a stationary ship. I mean, in, in real life, yeah, it's docking something is is, is damn hard. You're not even docking, though. You're just landing. Yeah. It's not like a, on an aircraft carrier where you're going to come in and have a tail hook. These things can just kind of... I mean, they've proven hovercraft, and these things can hover in place, right? Yeah. yeah. So it should be just him flying in, and, and then... And down you go. Yeah, it's not like he has to, you know... They have to match speed for it to come in or anything. It's, and dial it back anymore. All they have to do is lower their shields for a half a second for them to cross that threshold. And then they, the shuttlecraft can fly around all at once within the shield perimeter. I mean, the real, the real physics of it would be that... Enterprise is at one is at one orbit with the planet. The shuttlecraft is at another orbit with the planet. They have to calculate with Enterprise how to get into the same orbit so that they can occupy the same space and get inside. But you know, this is Star Trek has never had those physics. It's like you know, driving down a road and just you know, you can line things up visually and everything needs nose to nose. And... We're landing the shuttle. You asked for us to go in. You better hold on. You know the whole thing? B is in barricade. Remember in Star Trek 2 where like they do the whole hours will seem like days thing? Yeah. It seems like people are very bad at deciphering like codes in Star Trek. Oh, like, yes. B is in barricade. Wink, wink. Yeah, could you out hear the wink, wink over the radio? <laughs> wink, wink. We're going wink, away. Wink. <laughs> wink. That was the one thing I liked in. Uh, I don't know if people watch the Orville. Yes. They had a two-parter where the the robots took over, and the robots actually were like, "Yeah, no, you guys were obviously giving a code back and forth. What does it mean?" Oh, yes. The, the uh, thirteen-button salute, if I remember yes. correctly. <laughs> I like things that call uh, call Star Trek out, like uh, like the grease trap in your sink, ah. like putting too much air into a balloon. This is a really long shuttle bay. This is one of many scenes where yeah, it just they... took too long to travel a short distance. Why does the Enterprise have a net? In case you need to run in really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Most ships probably wouldn't, but, you know, when they're building it and they know they're going to give it to Captain Kirk, you just kind of yeah. err on the side of caution. I do like that periscope he has quite a bit. I, I don't know why, but with the Enterprise going to warp right there, I was reminded of Scooty Puff Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's from, a from Futurama, Futurama yeah, reference where it's just this, this little kid's space toy. You notice, so this is an actually a, a redressed, they use this shuttle in the, the Next Generation. I'm not surprised. Oh, well, you can see that because they have the Next Generation logo on the side. What? No. Yeah, if you look at them there, they're, they're, they're not using the, they're, they're using the combat logo they use in Next Generation. So here's what I don't understand. If Kirk took the time to crash a shuttle and risk everybody's life in an attempt for a power play... Why couldn't Kirk just say, no, we're not going. You can threaten me all you want. We're not leaving the planet. Because they were... Well, see, they were already up on the planet. That's the thing. And, oh, and then the Klingons were coming. So it's either, well, we need to land somewhere. 
And the I closest... thought they didn't know that the Klingons were there. Oh, were there at no, all? No, Chekhov said the Klingons are in the area when they got up there. So he's like, that's why they said we can either turn back and go to the ship. The closest thing is the ship. All right, I'm gonna look out for that insignia right there. You just saw it. See? Oh, oh yeah, that's, there that's it not, is. That's not next gen. Yeah, that's it is. Next gen. Yeah, it is. Is it? It's rotated. It's pointing forward. Yep, just like on their shuttles. Yeah, yeah all their shuttles. It's are they? Yeah. Oh my gosh! You think it being a rabid fan, I would notice that? Now this scared me as a little kid. This whole th- scene, like I remember more, like emotionally, how I felt uh-huh. about this. With the Star Trek airsoft gun. Well, no, that Kirk wants Spock to shoot this guy. And I think I was probably watching it. Well, I was definitely watching it with my parents. And my dad's sitting there on the couch like, Spock, you better shoot him. Kirk just told you. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> and then that, you know, Kirk is so pissed at Spock that he doesn't do it. It's an emotional decision. Yeah. The logical decision. The ship's in trouble. This guy's taking over. The logical decision is to shoot him, whether he's your brother or not. Yeah. But he's his brother, so he made an emotional decision, which but- is... Nobody knows. Nobody knows except for Spock and Cybok that they're brothers yet. Right. So Kirk is just kind of locked up on the, I give you an order, why didn't you just pull the trigger? Yeah, yeah it's, you got a hostile force attempting to take control of the Enterprise. It's, no, I get it, it's a whole, you... No, I'm right. How would I know that? How would I know you're right? I don't know. Apparently we find out years later that Spock has a whole extended family that nobody knows about. A brother, a sister we never knew about, you know. It's just... well, she's classified. You can't talk about that. Right. <laughs> They've airbrushed her out of all the family photos. <laughs> Look at those shoulder pads. Photoshop in the 20th, in the 20th, or, uh, 20, what's this, 23rd, 24th century? 20, yeah. 23rd, yeah. 24th and a half. 24th and a half century. <laughs> <laughs> 22nd and a half century. Yeah, look at that penis hair. That is so weird. I wonder if she has to duck when going through doors. Now I'm going to (laughs) watch. See, the whole time he was standing up there, he could have shot down. Through glass, though? Through glass. Yeah. Right, you can't hit a button and have security waiting at the door. There's some there's some unnecessary text there. Do not leave while in space. Do not use while in what the brig, the space toilet. It's like a seat. He's gonna push the button in a second. So so, it's it's a joke. They don't because you don't you don't use the 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 head on a ship when you're in port. Yeah, because it'll go. So so you don't want to flush the turd in space dock. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good joke. I like that. Yeah. Did they just have a you did not, you did too? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I have a sister. She lives a thousand years in the future. <laughs> I'm not sorry to be rid of her, to be honest. <laughs> Vulcans have princesses. Yes, they do. Why didn't you tell like, is, is, it, is it logical to have a royalty class in your logical society? Well, you could, I mean, I guess, but even a monarchy would be weird. Uh, yeah. Like an empress, you know, or more likely like the Romulans, a praetor. 
Look but, at but a, a, an actual king and yeah. queen of, a, of you know. It, Look at that. McCoy is a, an apologist for Spock all of a sudden. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah, he made an emotional decision. You, you never... Well, yeah. Well, McCoy only respects gut feeling. Yeah, it's like, finally makes an emotional decision. And it was the wrong one. <laughs> We've donated quite a bit of our money to his ministry. I want to say Uhura is the only one that ever calls Chekhov Pavel. No, Kirk did four. Somebody, yeah, there was a either two or three. Somebody called him Pavel, I think. I don't remember. Yeah, it was was in four when they're wheeling him out of the hospital, Uh, and he's starting to come to, and hmm. Kirk's talking to him. I'm very unconvinced on how easy it was for Cybok to walk onto the bridge and convince everybody they should do what he says. And why? Why was Kirk not? Susceptible to that. Because he's Kirk. Yeah, but still. I just want to know why they even have panels that you can remove in the brig. Yeah, you'd be able to throw it at somebody if they came for you. <laughs> yeah. Use it as a shield. I, I mean, it's I, just like. It's, I have no. I have no Starfleet security really sucks. And they used Spock to test this cell, too, when they were building the ship. Because he's so intelligent. That, but. It's like. Are those bars fatal to touch? I mean, that's what I'm thinking too. Like, because you could reach through there, and, you know, it would hurt you a little bit to get to to get out, but they don't connect. Well, if if it's like any other brig in Star Trek, the control panel is on the door frame on the opposite side. So just reach I know, and reach out the there and hit the button. <laughs> well, do they have force fields at this point? Yes. They do in the shuttle be, bay, yeah. They could be between those bars. Oh, well. Yeah, they just don't have the CGI to, to illustrate it. They didn't try. Well, this was, you know, the 80s. They were big on halogen light bulbs and stuff. I don't know. They're actually lightsabers. It's a, it's a secret Star Wars Star Trek crossover. <laughs> if you get too close, you chop your hand off. Here we are on the Enterprise D again. <laughs> These are the questions which man has asked ever since he first gazed at the star. Oh, this is the the B plot of the movie. The A plot was Cybok took over the ship. The B plot is Cybok wants to take the ship somewhere. So at least this cell has a TV facing the door. Yeah. Right? Just in case. Well, I mean, you still have rights as a prisoner. To watch television? Pretty much. If they really wanted to sell him as a televangelist, we should have seen more of this right here. This was very much still the era. Do you realize that people in prison have cable and I can't afford it? They cleaned that shuttle bay up pretty fast. Did the ship just crash? Might be a different shuttle bay. No, Enterprise have one shuttle bay. Constitution class. Yeah, dude. No, it was... Shakaria. (laughs) So, uh... Does anybody know how they came up with that name? I figured they went down to McDonald's and mispronounced the shit. <laughs> no, um, they, um, well, it's, it's a, you know who they wanted for Cybok? No. Oh, yeah, Sean Connery. No, yeah. I yeah. can see it. Yeah, and he was like, Shakari will suck my dick. Oh, <laughs> is that what he said? Oh, no, I, I, that's I, the No, joke. it was Sean Con. it was a, it was a, it was Sean Connery, Shakari. 
Sean Connery. Connery. Yeah, oh, they I just took remember. his name. Yeah. I don't remember if he declined or they just never. I don't. Also, well, he was making Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade at the time. Yeah. I, I think, think he made a, the better decision. Yeah, <laughs> given given his track record of declining movies, I think this was a rare good move on his part. <laughs> they actually tried also tried to get Max von Sydow, but he was too expensive. Is he Max von Sydow is more expensive than Sean Connery? I, I don't know uh, what Maybe Sean, more than Larry Lemon. More than more. I don't know how they tried to get... I don't know how... So, we're in the prison cell. We realize that Cybok and Spock are brothers. Cybok has announced his plan to go to the center of the universe and find Shakari. Now someone is tapping out Stan Back and Morse Code. I love they can't guess what it is and tell. Stand back. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> so you think that you think that McCoy or not McCoy, uh, Scotty could have just gone through the front door, right, and, and opened just, it up. I know he's got to blow a hole. Yeah. Since it's that kind of movie, I'm kind of surprised they didn't get like soot all over their face like Wiley Coyote. <laughs> this is a great scene. I I laughed, laughed, laughed as a kid. <laughs> So they're coming up with the plan. McCoy, or not McCoy, sorry. Uh, Scotty says, well, you go and you do this. It's a dangerous climb. Uh, while you're doing this, I'm going to do something else. And he makes this great comment, well, I know the ship like the back of my hand. And then he quickly knocks himself out. What's a blow screen? <laughs> Here we go. Thunk. Okay. You gotta give it to James Duhon for doing that fall. Here we are on the Enterprise D again. We didn't have time to change the carpets. Oh, Whoa, this, <laughs> this this uh, this is a turbo lift shaft. Now watch the numbers as they go up. Yeah. And also, what's it? Um, the bridge should be deck one too, not. Yeah. No, everything yeah. about this scene. I was angry as a kid. This is one of the first mistakes I ever saw in a film. Was right here. Like a and, and why would they have these pipes going along at foot level across the corridor? Uh, knee knockers. That, that's actually not uncommon in some ship designs. Well, it's a bad design. I mean, it's not like they... All right, deck 12, right? So maybe they only have normal Star Trek logic. They only have 11 more decks to go, and then they get to deck 1. Well, they started on deck 8. What? So the numbers are going up as they're going. Right. But they should, they should be going down from the yeah. bridge. Oh. <laughs> and there's artificial gravity. You don't know. Maybe they're, they're actually climbing. Yeah, no, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, because conservation of energy is a very important thing on a ship, you wouldn't have gravity in these turbo lift shafts, so it would be easier for the lift to go up and down. Yeah. How does that make sense? So, so uh, Spock uh, found his gravity boots. We're going to get real comfy here. Now, guys, let's sing Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a cool one of putting your, you know, your your little feet, little kid feet on your dad's dad's shoes, and then you guys Aww. just dance around. Oh, McCoy is not having it. <laughs> More thrust! I love how they're clearly attached to the wall in that black... That black opening there. 35, 52, 64. 
52, 78, 78 again. It's like there aren't even that many decks on the Enterprise. They established a long time ago that this there was only 30 decks on this model. Oh, Enterprise. there's stop. So so uh, 78 decks. Look at that. Yeah, not bad. Enterprise D again. And they're back in the observation lounge. They find the secret floor computer. It would be so hard for me to go in there and not play with that steering wheel. Simon says, go longer and faster. When you do, you'll be the master. (laughs) Exactly. This is Captain Kirk of the USS Enterprise. Enterprise. Hostile force has taken control of our vessel. Interesting uniform. Not the same as the galactic barrier. This is the barrier in the middle. Oh, see, I was thinking about the reef. Yeah. Understood, Enterprise. We are dispatching a rescue ship immediately. Man, her Starfleet's good. Well, if you if perfect English accent. I mean, we had Russian translators who could speak with a perfect Russian inflection, so it's. But subterfuge is not the Klingon way. They kind of come in guns a-blazing. Yeah, well, I get the feeling that these are kind of losers in Klingon society since they're like... <laughs> They've done plenty of subterfuge. They did the... They, uh, uh, they tried to steal the Genesis device. Do you remember? They were doing that kind of all... But know. that was more direct. They, yeah, they but they killed the... They had pirates and intermediaries. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Alright. They're gonna they're gonna plot to kill the to assassinate the, the Chancellor and the president in the next movie. They're yeah. kinda slimy in this in this era. How you can tell this guy is a cult leader is that he he overly simplifies history and facts by saying Columbus was the person that proved that the earth wasn't round. Which I mean we're already here in the twenty first century moving way far away. Right from thinking that Columbus was the one that proved the world was round. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that Magellan? Magellan, yeah, yeah, all the way around. Columbus but they also were able the Americas. To, but they were also able to, even in ancient Egypt, well, yeah. figure out how shadows um, work, you know, were at different heights, and that could only happen if the world was curved. And well, when you think about it, Sabak really likes presentation and marketing, and Columbus was a much better marketer than the ancient Egyptians. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. So perhaps self discovery, in as much as Cybok respects Columbus's ability to really put his mark on history. Your lipstick is crazy. What the heck? Look at that. Orange. There was, there was an orange phase yeah. a couple of years ago. Was there? With lipstick. Everybody was into the orange lipstick. A couple of years ago? or. Yeah, Thirty well, years I, ago. Thirty years ago, your aunt might have lipstick. No, like seriously, like three to four years ago, it just it made a comeback. Everything comes back uh, around. Yeah, I, I definitely could have seen these two hooking up. Sean Connery. Now all I can think of is Sean Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> he is the great barrier. Brief. Call it what you will. Now you just say random words. But in the Greek alphabet, Jehovah begins with an I. <laughs> so, continuity problem here. They're flying to the center of the galaxy. That's yeah. a long trip. I, I read Shatner wanted it to be the center of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> but there is no center of the universe. That we know well, of. 
Shatner doesn't see himself as the center of the universe. This yeah. podcast is the center of the universe. We will go to the center of the universe and find my ego. It's in my apartment on 3rd Street. And when I directed Star Trek V, I got a great performance out of me. <laughs> I, I love how they can't stop using burlap in Star Trek. It's great. That's cheap. I like that Falcon's lime collar of DeForest <laughs> Kelly there. That's I'd wear that collar. Which one? The, his, green? his collar is green. So that's yeah. the thing. They still use color codes. You have to pay attention to the undershirts. Command yeah. wears white. There's uh, there's a goldish mustard color, and then there's the greenish color for medical and science. Okay. What I is going... Wait, wait. Stop the presses. What's going on? Why are we seeing a cityscape there? He's because he's a mind trick. Yeah, he's showing... Uh, Sean McCoy is pain. Oh, okay. So his pain is living in New Jersey? No, his pain oh, is his, his, his father, father, who is played by the actor from uh, the Twilight Zone movie who doesn't believe that they can turn back into kids. Hmm. Well, that's confusing. He keeps yeah. saying Leonard. No, well, that too. But he keeps saying Leonard. I'm like, Nimoy? Nimoy? What? <laughs> Leonard McCoy. Yeah. <laughs> And this is this is tough because this is something that you know everybody watching this movie either has gone through or will go through at some point, most likely. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, they just actually uh, shipped my grandmother off to a nursing home. That's kind of hard to deal with. Oh, that's his pain. He can't save his father. Well, what it is is that he wants to end his father's suffering. Yeah, well, there's sort of a twist to that. Yeah. You think uh, DeForest Kelly would be a, a, a fan of uh, Doctor Assistant Suicide? Well, this is what this is what is he's about to do. That's yeah. Yeah. DeForest yeah. Kelly though. No, I no, no. I meant I meant McCoy. Sorry. Well, it's still frowned upon, even you know, eighty years later, when Worf wants somebody to do this to him. And uh, and uh, Luxana falls in love with the scientist who wants. Yeah, to it's not really suicide. acceptable because it's one of those we have medical science to pretty much keep you going, keep you going, and ease pain. So there's one of those. But then you know, it's even even the Hippocratic Oath uh, forbids assisted suicide. So going the, back to ancient Greece. Also, the the TNG one actually with Luxana was it was like this culturally mandated like death. Oh, once you had a certain age. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't about pain. It was like a, like a oh, mandatory retirement. It was like a mandatory retirement age. Only retirement is death. Mm. They did a good job on this guy's uh, liver spots. I'll tell you that on his forehead. Yeah, you think about how old people live to be. This probably has. This probably happened between Star Trek Four and Star Trek Five. This is like this just happened. This oh, isn't okay. a distant memory. Oh, did it? I thought it was. Well, okay, yeah. Well, he would have had to have been an established doctor. Oh, because of the because they did they did find a cure. That's right. They said a couple of years later, so maybe after the original series, but not between I don't know the about movies. Years, he said. For some reason, I'd always thought it was like the next day they came up with a cure, yeah. but he just said they came up with a cure shortly thereafter or something. Yeah, like if it had been a few years, he wouldn't have been alive anyway. So it, it's not like it's not like he would have read it. He would have been. Okay, no, they're gonna they're gonna. They found a cure. Okay. Yeah, just they found a cure. No. I really said that you did what you thought was right. Yes. No. 
You're acting as terrible. <laughs> right? Who, Kelly's? Yes. I don't think so. I think he's really good. Yeah. Uh, this well, is the best for, performance for Dr. McCoy. For Star Trek, maybe. Star Trek's got a pretty low standard for acting. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I often get into conversations, more like debates with Chem about uh, acting on Star Trek and we always pull out Deep Space Nine as the as the uh, example and my defense is that well Star Trek always have, has a very specific method into how they act it's and so it may seem unbelievable but into context of of Star Trek itself uh, it's actually pretty good so whose pain is this? This is Spock's pain. It's Spock's pain of just being born half human, half Vulcan, I guess. So it's the no, it's the, it's the reject. It's his father rejecting uh, him at birth. So, so his mom being half have human. felt more pain in this scenario. The, the, I was gonna say it's obviously the mom's pain. The pain is the makeup. That why why is the uh, why is the nurse practitioner there in full makeup? That's what I What's don't cool about Spock? How do you know she's a nurse? What's cool about Spock's scene is that. Sarek almost certainly did not say this when he was born. He was in love with a human woman. He wouldn't look at her baby and go so human, like, derivatively. But Spock, you know, thinks that that's how his father looked at him. Yeah. It's his, it's his, it's his emotion. Yeah. It's yeah. Not. never really fell in love with her. He just said he married her because it seemed like a logical thing to do at the time. Well, that's what he would say because he's, you know, they don't admit to being in love or caring for him. I mean, he's married two humans by the next generation, so he's obviously got a thing for humans. But yeah, he'll just tell people, other Vulcans too, they would ask him, why did you marry? Well, it seemed logical, I'm, you know. But there's a, he does, even in the original series, you see when, when they first interact that he does somewhat care for her. He just won't admit it openly. Probably well, he admitted to other people. it on his deathbed, though. Well, yeah, when he's lost his control of logic, he admits it. Okay. Are we going to see Kirk's pain? We're not going to see Kirk's pain. And I'm a little... We saw it in, uh, in Star Trek Three with the death of his son and blowing up the Enterprise and all that, but... Well, even in uh, when he goes back to the Nexus, Kirk's pain has always been, I never had time for family. That's Picard's pain. No, Kirk as well. Like, no, that, uh, was, that was not Kirk's, but that was Picard's pain. But, well, what I'm saying is Kirk, uh, so you look at the Nexus, there was a woman, a mystery but he's woman. Had, but he's that, had bunches of... Uh, that, uh, Kirk's real pain, if they wanted to look at it, would be when he was a boy on that planet and he had to witness the governor killing half the population yeah, that and never understanding why he was spared. The Do we big, ever know why he was spared? No, that was the thing. Is he never gets it. He was just he's, he's, the governor said he was selecting people based on their ability to help the colony survive. And Kirk's like, I had no family, I had no skills. Why was I selected to live? So, so basically, is Glamora something like that? I guess, but this took place decades your Thanos, that. Your Thanos connection there. Um, I just think it's kind of too bad, especially watching this in two thousand nine. That Kirk doesn't participate in this because it's kind of like crucial now, you know, four men in a room talking about like what's going on with them, and Kirk's like, "I'm too big of a guy to do, to participate in this." Except they're kind of, you know, getting brainwashed at the same time. Right. They need Kirk to not 
be brainwashed. Well, brainwashing usually starts with breaking your breaking down your self-esteem, making you vulnerable. So what what Cybok is using is they're he's making you relive your triggering events. Essentially psychological yeah. warfare. Yeah, to minimize you, to make you vulnerable, and then he then he then he does his pitch, his ask. Well, if you want to feel better as a person and more complete, you're gonna follow me on my mission. Well, and see, you were saying that, you know, in 2019, it's, it's too bad that that Spock can't, or Spock, Kurt can't acknowledge his feelings, but he was basically saying, I want my pain. I don't want my pain to go away. It's part of what makes me human. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very redeeming. Yeah. He's like, don't dare destroy me. Yeah. <laughs> or on the flip side, he knows he, everybody's manipulated, so he's like, I'm not going to participate in any manipulation. I'm just going to say no to every possibility. I was really disappointed at the Great Barrier. Looking at what they did in the motion picture, they still reuse footage from the motion picture for how beautiful the cloud effects are, and you get get this weird psychedelic mess. It looks like the inside of a lava lamp. I I think they paid a teenager with a camera to take a whole bunch of acid and play with a pan of oil. And again, I was lucky to be a little kid seeing this movie and not being aware of all of the tropes and going, maybe they are going to be God in there. Ah. You know? Like, I was I was, I was, was convinced. Like Actually, the, the, that's probably why, when I saw it, I was pretty disappointed. Like, really? That's God? But now that I'm, I think, now that I'm sort of ready for the anticlimactic ending, I kind of liked it a little better now that I when I watched it. Atreyu! <laughs> so does God actually take a corporeal form? No. Yeah, well, okay. it's, not, it's not God. Sort <laughs> of. Oh. Well, that guy cleaned up. Yeah. He's, he's not drunk. <laughs> Where did he have to... <laughs> so everyone has this moment of peace. It almost looks like an embryonic egg. Hmm. That might be deliberate, yeah. The music is great. Just a random planet. No star, no, no nothing. Just, just a planet. It's a rogue planet. So they do exist they in the Star Trek down universe. To the motto... Boldly oh, so much cheese. <laughs> hey, we did the thing. We checked off the box. <laughs> Their ship works now. What the heck? There are a lot of no people. No explanation of how they got through. No, like, oh, well, we reversed the polarity of the something or other. Yeah, they didn't remodulate. They didn't reverse. They just flew straight through. It's incredible. Cre- oh. It is a beautiful day on this planet below. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. I was thinking it'd be great if God just... <laughs> God revealed that this was all just a big excuse to meet Sean Connery. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not Sean Connery. Well, can, it's, like, you- it's like, that's it. You're canceled. Morgan Freeman's the next guy. <laughs> well, can, can you at least say shaken, not stirred? Or... I'm done with this movie. It's not about me. You're finished. I'm in command again. Someone's cell phone is ringing on the bridge. I can hear it. They didn't have a cell phone in 89. No, but I just heard a little... Oh. The rest of you remain on board. 
I love how easily uh, they just gave command back to Shatner. Well, that was part of Cybok's thing. Is just basically like I, I just get me there, yeah. I, I just wanted to get there. I had no ill will towards you or anything else. I just, you know, my ends justify my means, kind of thing. I don't even think I need a shuttlecraft. I'll just fly. Wee, Cybok. Flying down. I swear there are not enough seats in a shuttlecraft. <laughs> yeah, after the last one, I'd be like, where is my seatbelt? <laughs> well, Sulu isn't driving this time around. It's like, what's we've, the... we've heard this theme reprised before, but I can't place where. I want to say, I want to say in First Contact, they reprise that. Where Data fires the quantum torpedoes. No. And then they miss. And the queen goes, Data! And Data no, says too, some stupid ruse. I think this is from if they reused it, they used it in Insurrection. Insurrection? That, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. No, you said first contact. Isn't it great? A purple filter. Oh. A purple filter! First contact with the board, Insurrection was when yeah. they're on the youth planet. Man, didn't we just come from another desert planet? See how the shuttle just landed like that, just straight down? Yeah. Did Sulu do that in the shuttle bay? Nope. No, he said he wasn't in control of it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you won't need guns with Jesus. <laughs> oh my. Play it your way. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. As soon as he turns around, you see him just pick it up and put it in his jacket anyways. <laughs> right. Well, he's got a ship in orbit. Hey, the Copernicus. Is that... Nice lineup. I wonder how Copernicus would have felt having a shuttle named after him that's going to meet God. Amazing. I don't look at... The thing is, it's like, this is regarded as a bad Star Trek movie. You don't look at it at any point and be like, they clearly didn't care what they were doing. It's like, they were putting an effort into making a movie that looked good. Yeah, just, there's a lot of unfortunate series of events that... Hindered them. I'm sorry. Is this supposed to be pretty? Yeah, yeah, was, yeah like, it is. That's like when we went to the Grand Canyon. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yep, that's yeah. a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah, did the did the whole Chevy Chase thing? Just put your hands on your hips and look at it for a second and walk away. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> All right, everybody back in the car. Yeah. <laughs> we had, we had more fun down the street in this little town called Page. Yeah, Page. Page. Their Burger King was excellent. <laughs> it was the prettiest Burger King I've ever been to. Well, and you're being serious about that? Yes, yeah. I am. No, we didn't. The spend... best part of the Grand Canyon was the Burger King in the st- in the town <laughs> down the street. <laughs> Horseshoe Bend was prettier than the actual Grand Canyon. Oh yeah. We just kept looking at the actual walls itself rather than looking down into the canyon like everybody else does. Where do they film this? That's what I want to know. That's beautiful. Soundstage three. No, well. <laughs> The, the beauty isn't the rock. The beauty is the, the strangeness of the rock formation. Might be Monument Valley. It's possible. They did a lot of filming in Yosemite. Hmm. Inspiration for that uh, Jonathan Frakes TV show. Uh, the, the aliens. The teenage aliens. Uh, Roswell. Roswell, yeah. Oh, yeah. wait. Was that was Colin. Jonathan Frakes show? Yeah. Was he on it? Nuh-uh. He produced it. Oh, okay. What? Yeah. Did not know that. 
No, I didn't either. Uh, uh, how's the, J.J. Abrams? Oh, look, somebody hit mute on the tactical screen because we can't hear anything approaching. Now. A little, little icon that says, Klingon bird of prey coming. Why did they even need the Klingons? I, I don't get it. Those shoes are getting dirty. It's like how Mars is red filter and um, this planet is, is violet filter. Purple yeah. filter, yeah. Purple rain, <laughs> purple rain. It's not rain. I mean, I guess if they've got a blue star, maybe it would look like that in the dawn, or... It could be the atmosphere filtering the light, too. Yeah. Well, nowhere, guys. Nothing here. Should have brought a chair. We walked for we walked for about twenty minutes. That's enough to see a planet, yeah. right? Spock, you got that marshmallow <laughs> thing with you? <laughs> row, row, row your boat yeah. gently down the stream. I can hear my echo, echo, echo. So we've traveled far by starship. You should have tried harder. You should have just walked here, and then it would have been legit. This is boring Let's, as fuck. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let's call this one a mulligan and go back up there. And, <laughs> I know, is there another planet? Yeah. Did we land on the wrong god planet? <laughs> they, they have a lot of god planets. Should we have made an appointment? What was the name of that tar creature that killed Yar? Armus. Armus, yeah. You would have been a good person to find on this planet. <laughs> Oh, they changed the filter. Very heavy metal right there. The uh, animated series. Oh, yeah. It's a creepy series. Oh, that there we stock go. Footage? <laughs> now we're getting hints of Brazil. It's the Fortress of Solitude. Welcome to the arena. Da 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 There you go. Everyone's backing up to the center. Guess we're having ribs tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I think we are not in the planetarium anymore, Johnny. I don't know. It's the fortress of yeah, it's the fortress of solitude from a Silver Age story where Superman's a caveman, and the joke is that he has all of Superman's powers, but he's much dumber than a regular Superman. And it was twenty five pages. And the, and the bizarre caveman Superman is actually smart. Yes. <laughs> so the arena is set. These magic rock fingers have come out of the ground. Our heroes are circling the perimeter, wondering what's going Wouldn't on. Wouldn't you want to use a tricorder on them to see what they're made of? They didn't even bring a tricorder. No. No phasers, no tricorder. Hey, there's smoke without a hole. We're making progress. <laughs> Sparklies. Ooh. And this is how the unicorns are born. Uh, <laughs> guys, McCoy's is anybody like... else seeing this? I think the shrooms are kicking in. <laughs> This is like Laser Charlie Daniels in Tennessee. <laughs> Blue lights and sparkles. That's cool. I would watch that, actually. <laughs> Laser Charlie Daniels. Welcome. 
Okay, that's that's a legit voice right there. Yeah, it's it's good God. It? Don't know. Is this the voice of God? Okay. Yes. And may I point out, McCoy is the first one to say, "Are you God?" Yeah. So, so, so basically, what we ah, have here why? is a big, powerful alien doing the whole Ghostbusters. If someone asks if you're a God, you say yes. Yes. I'm sorry. If it's I Santa. It was. It was scary because I didn't know, and it was actually my dad even beat Kirk to the punch on the whole starship thing. <laughs> he was like, "He's like, no, 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 no. God doesn't <laughs> want a starship. God doesn't call for an Uber." Yeah. <laughs> That's a very interesting shot. You can barely see the face of God there. It was not the barriers. We preached. Magnificent. You are the first to find me. We saw I hardly believe. Yeah. I'm asking you to pray. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody left the door <laughs> open. God would know this. Yeah. Right. Yes. yes. Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal. None of this is applying to this blue face guy. Excuse me. I love, I love it. Yeah, yeah, so good. <laughs> Check, please. <laughs> Excuse me. I just like to ask a question. Too bad that that became the catchphrase of our current president. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh no. All the debates. I said, what does God need with a starship? Hey, shut up. <laughs> I love that. You should know. Don't you know what you got? This is funny here. <laughs> wow! You don't ask God for his ID? You don't ask the Oh my don't gosh! Card God! Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's been struck down by worse. He's been smoked. Yeah, really. Yeah, a lot of parents are going to regret naming their kid God. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why have you done this to my friend? He doubts me. He's not answered his question. Yes. And now they're probably Thomas, but they have the problem. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why are you going to ask again? You saw what happened the first time that was asked. No, they have to demonstrate that they're walking through their brainwashing. Oh. I don't, th- I don't think this god has a uh, rib for Kirk to stick his hand in, though. Looks pain for his own pleasure. Stop! The god of Chakari will not do this. Thank you. Chakari. A vision you created. Uh, honestly, the script has been flipped on Cybok because Cybok is falling into the pattern in which he was selling. So just as he, as he has converted so many people so blindly, Cybok is a victim of that. He just says, whoa, there's something powerful. I'm going to worship it. Yeah. I'm surprised God is sort of given up the charade so quickly. He's like, that was you. You thought I was God. Fuck you. I was just an asshole trying to escape this place. Well, so he's big, big. He's his whole intent is getting out of there. That's one of those, you know. All right, fine. You got me. I'm here to rob you. Let's just get this over with. Wallet, keys, watch. 
One of the concepts was that he was supposed to reveal himself as Satan. That would have been dumb. And they actually were doing that. No, just keep it an alien. It's fine. Yep. So just as Star Wars always has a larger space station to blow up, (laughs) Star Trek always has that omnipotent alien that can just mess up everything. Well, just just like in any other Star Trek, we have to kill it with guns. Pretty much. Forgive me, brother. Well, wouldn't it be anticlimactic if the god figure said, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. So originally, they were supposed to have these giant rock creatures come down and attack them. Really? They wanted five of them. The studio said, no, we're not paying for it. You can have one. They filmed it. And it actually looked pretty cool. It, it smoked and made moves and stuff, but the morning of the shoot, the suit malfunctioned, so they cut it. <laughs> they so, literally filled the tubes uh, of the suit to make smoke with cigarette smoke. They had a bunch of weird. crew guys just chain smoking and blowing smoke in the tubes. Does anybody else think that it's a little un- slightly implausible for Cybok to like turn on God so quickly? I mean, a true believer... You know, considering the kinds of things that... Well, he believes God is merciful and immediately showed him that it wasn't merciful. Yeah, he he didn't turn on God, he turned on this alien. He still believes there's a God, he just now realizes this isn't it. I want to know why they survived a torpedo blast. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's a question. For torpedoes can... Apparently, level entire cities with one shot. Yeah, when they were fighting the Gorn, they threw a mortar shell that took out half a mountainside. Wow. And then a torpedo here is just, yeah. That, that's a long run right there. Holy smokes. Especially after getting hit by lightning. Right? So they're back in the shuttle. I actually don't remember how this ends. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, for me, this has probably been a good 15 years since I've watched Oh, this. really? Yeah. I tried to watch it last night, but the wine got 15 hours for me. <laughs> so, now they're rats in a can. You... <laughs> he's pointing at us real hard out the window. I mean, glaring, <laughs> and he's got his index finger... Starting to shake. Oh no, he's starting to <laughs> wag his finger. <laughs> this might be his lawn. <laughs> Ask him where the property line is, Spock. Scotty did not hesitate. Nope. nope. Scott, Scotty doesn't waste time. Yeah. It either it works or it doesn't. There's none of that discussion. They, they missed a chance to say, beam me up, Scotty. That is an next gen transporter yeah. set. Well, he uh, never actually says that in the series. I know, I know, but that if. Any time bigger of it. So they've beamed up the Scott. two shuttles now. They've, be- they've <laughs> beamed up McCoy and his ship again. Spock. And Kirk is dodging eye lightning bullets. There's a Klingon ship floating around. Captain Claw, the Klingon Empire. Temporary shields. 
These are so 80s music video Klingons, too. <laughs> They've never gotten the Klingons done. Every time we see them, they're always just a little different. Yeah. Though I never liked the imagination of Klingons as animals. Well, it's just dehumanizing the enemy is what it is. Should we give him the coordinates? Maybe Finally, we realize we have a Klingon general amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You are a superior officer. I am a foolish old man. Damn you, sir. Yeah. You will. Damn you, sir. Nice follow up to, uh, to Spock learning to swear in Star Trek Four. Yes. Damn you, you double dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> That coat that the general was wearing in the bar is the same one that the chancellor wears in the next generation, too. Huh. Nice. So they really went over to the Enterprise. Yeah, they went over there and just raided the next generation. You shall not pass. Sounds like a pregnant cow. (laughs) No, what? I don't even understand this. Um... They, oh, the Klingons from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. The, the, no, it, it takes Klingon disruptor fire to, yeah. to really take Destroy it out. the force, Luke. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The the Klingon disruptor kills God. What are you waiting for? The the Klingons and Kirk never get along, so this is really unusual for him. Please come aboard, sir. We're going to escort you to the mud baths and then our spa. Except that this movie straight up ends with a big 80s party. To which you're like, why do they have a problem? But yes, why do they have a problem having the Klingons over for dinner when they had a big party at the I end know. of Star Trek V? Hey, <laughs> junior officer has something he wants to say to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you apologize. I <laughs> that didn't sound sincere. What? Try it again. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good general here. Yeah. I like him. The attack upon your vessel was not authorized by my government. Wait, Thank you me. attacked my vessel? <laughs> Be- because we're Kirk's involved, he did. He had no oh, idea yeah. the Klingons were in play. <laughs> Who attacked what now? Yeah. And there's Spock. You know, what, are we going back in time again? Do we need, like, dolphins now? This is Masterpiece Theater. Welcome aboard, Captain. They gonna hug? They gonna hug. Huh. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I'll, I think I'll die alone. Or with an old bald guy who hasn't been born yet. Yeah. Oh, hey! Not in front of the Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. 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 Shakes his head. Very good. Very good. So maybe that's Kirk's biggest fear, dying alone? That's what he that's how he knows he's gonna die. It's yeah, he said he said he knows he's gonna die alone. Even though he dies with Captain Picard in uh, yeah. generations. Yeah. Where 
Would you care for a wee nipple? Yeah, well, I heard Gene Roddenberry basically told the TNG writers just ignore this movie, so I don't think they considered that to be canon anyway. Yeah. yeah, the only problem is that this doesn't have, like, lively music going on. It's like the human hooked up with the Romulan for no reason other than that it's the end of a movie from the 80s. I can hear the Star-, couple now. Star Wars Cantina song playing here. I was here. just thinking that, yeah. I bet you we could make that happen. They could have done a little um, callback to Day of the Dove and had that female Klingon uh, chase Chekhov into a corner and hold him down. We may have some copyright issues there. Oh, well. A little bit. We're working out. Disney's lawyers are going to get you. <laughs> They have to. We have to have more listeners first. So basically, the real God is the friends we made along the way. Yes. The real tribute to God. It's a love conquers all speech. This this line. That's this Wait, what? Then you lost. Then you lost. Then you lost two brothers. Then you lost two brothers. No, he's talking about Spock. Oh, yeah. They got him back. He's talking about his other brother too. No, no, so they lost a brother once and I got him back. He's talking about Spock. Oh. He's not talking about Peter. Yeah, because they said at the beginning, oh, fa- people that like us don't have families. So, no, okay, we do. We're, our, we're each other's family. Wait, who's Peter? Peter's There's... his nephew. His brother was George Jr. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you had a brother? Yeah. yeah. Died in the original series. Oh, okay. Huh. Oh, they brought in a mandolin. If you want to sing out, sing out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at that. Is that a it's a Vulcan harp thing. Is it? Okay. Shaped like a duck. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a an auto harp that yeah. you see in Pennsylvania, Amish country. Yeah. And this had to be pointed out to me, but it's like, instead of all three of them singing together, now apparently McCoy is upset about something that we don't know. Because he just sits there with his arms folded over his chest, and it's only Spock and Kirk that sing. <laughs> I tried to get everybody to sing, and nobody wanted to do it, and now you're, now you're all singing? And it ends just like um, Star Trek First Contact, except that they're not singing Ooby Dooby. Ooby Dooby? Yeah, that's the song, yeah, song they were rocking out to with the Vulcans in the woods. I, I like how they ended this with a, uh, a, a painting that you might see on a public television uh, art show. <laughs> Bob Ross style. And if you want to draw... Captain Kirk, Spock, and Dr. McCoy. That's up to you. This is yes. your world. <laughs> Might be a happy yeah, since, accident. But, since this yeah. movie flopped at the box office, we're pulling a pledge drive nice. to raise money for Star Trek VI. There's an actress <laughs> named Spice I Williams. That, I like, Spice. So I like how they just put God in quotation marks on the credit list. <laughs> hey, you need that. Yes. They changed the font from the beginning. So, to those that never saw this before, what did you think? <laughs> Jim. She's just laughing. Were you, upset, were you upset that so we gave away the twist? No. No, I, well, I told... I don't think it was really a twist. So, how did I break this down to you last night, Jim? You're like, it's, it's a really bad movie, and I thought that the whole God thing was going to be a bigger part of the movie mm-hmm. rather than just kind of a throwaway part of the movie. Because, yeah. 
I thought that I had forgotten that it was such a short part of the movie. Yeah. I remember that being, you know, the, the whole movie was them searching for God. I don't even know what this was about. Like, there was no point. What was the plot of this movie? I'm, I'm searching for the plot and I can't find it. So I don't really even know how to rate it because there was there was no plot. <laughs> well, let's let's right. let's dial it back. Out of mysterious Spock siblings, how many Spock siblings would you give this? Oh, I was gonna rate it like phosphorescent unicorns. Or, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> marsh, let's do that. Marshmallows. Mar- mar- yeah. How many marshmallows do you get? Are we, are we gonna pop Syn- out of our synthetically little generated marshmallows? How many synthetically ge- generated marshmallows? As would you opposed give to the natural I, ones, probably you probably a one. A one. Yeah, one marshmallow, maybe even a zero. Like, what did I even just watch? But I got to know. No, I didn't really get to know anybody. <laughs> well, you got to see a lot of the dynamic between the, the three. Bok and Cybok, maybe. Yeah. But coming into it, not really watching, having watched any of the, the TOS episodes, I don't really feel like I got to know anybody or who anybody is. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> just what it is. So, so you give it one marshmallow. Sweet. What about you, Matt? I want to give it two and a half. I, I know a little bit more about the background of this movie. Um, I've read Harv Bennett's book, and I've read uh, William Shatner's book, um, where, where he talks extensively about this. It is a bad movie, but not because it was, but not because of, like William Shatner was the director. There was a <laughs> lot of factors that went into make this. Problems with production. They had a writer's strike, so they couldn't use the original write. You know. The original writer of the movie had a completely different story, but they couldn't agree on the rights to the story, so they couldn't use it. Uh, yeah, production things, it was just, uh, 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 you know, uh, malfunctions, it just, it didn't, you know, the timing of it, too. The studio didn't want to put as much money into it, and it didn't get as long of, you know, theatrical release, so. It, 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 this was more like a Star Trek episode than a movie. It, it was a, it was a bridge. It was for people who already knew about the characters, we weren't bringing in new audience members. We were just placating the the, the ones who had already been there. It's okay. That makes sense. Yeah, so William Shatner described it as is the what they had with the original the other movies is there had been a long gap. You, you weren't getting Star Trek for a long time. Fans were rabid, you know, because they wanted Star Trek. Well, when Star Trek Five comes out, you're already in Star Trek: The Next Generation. So it was one of those, well, I've got, already got my fill of Star Trek. If I need to get my Star Trek Jones on, I can watch the new TV series. You're not really, it's, it wasn't that big of a deal for the movie. The, the studio was like, yeah, all right, we're going to do one, you know, but all of our eggs are going to still be in the, in the next generation basket. You guys can, I mean, that's why they had to use redress sets from the, from the next generation. And stuff is they just were one of those. If you want to make one, fine because we'll make a few dollars off of it, but we're not going all guns blazing. Oh, there you go. Okay, cool. Jim, you noticed something in the credits there. I did. It said Marshmallows and Dispenser by Kraft Inc., which means <laughs> these exist somewhere and I will find them now. <laughs> <laughs> Angela, why don't you give your impression next since you just saw it yesterday for the first time? serious so I really really like 
those aspects. Yes, the Spock's secret brother that he never talked about was cheesy, and the whole we're going to find God at the center of the galaxy was lame, but I knew about that going in, so I actually enjoyed what there was. Let's go with three marshmallows, just, Ooh, just to be generous. There you go. Very cool. Mr. Patrick, how about you? I really enjoyed it. Um, when I was finding uh, Angela for the show, I really downplayed the movie, I think, because I just read the autobiography of uh, Captain Kirk, where they mentioned this movie as something that they made on uh, the gangster planet to celebrate the visit of the Federation, but they just used actors that <laughs> the, the crew went and saw the movie and were like, "What? what that's what they think we're like? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so rewatching it again, and it had been, yeah, probably 10, 15 years for me, just like it had been for you. Sasha, I watched it on Monday while I was at work on my phone, and it I really enjoyed it. I love that scene with uh, McCoy and his father, and I really think that's the heart of the whole movie. Three, three and a half marshmallows. I, I'm going to have to give it a one marshmallow, mostly because we're calling them marshmallows. That's what they I, call them in the movie. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, that really bugged me as a kid, and it still bugs me today. It's like, that, that's not what you call them. Maybe it is in the future. Uh, right. Well, yeah. Maybe they're Vulcan marshmallows and not and they're called marshmallows on earth right uh what was that angela i, I think it was just spock got the name mixed up was the joke uh oh maybe maybe you could be right uh so as a kid i remember watching this like man there's some action and then it's just god awful boring it won't oh my gosh are we still talking oh finally they're shooting weapons this is great I mean, I just had no patience for this as a kid, but I do remember falling in love with the music, the score. Um, the Klingon theme was great. They used some uh, woodwinds in there. I think about, I think I heard a bassoon, which was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Now, why why an eight year old or a nine year old was worrying about a bassoon, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm proud of that. Um, looking at it now, uh, this wasn't a Star Trek in so much like politics or federation or neutral zone i was just window dressing i really think that this was a movie to celebrate the friendship between kirk mccoy and spock and that's all it was really doing it was just talking about how those three relate how they've grown older how they suffer um what they brought from their past and what they're bringing to the current relationship everything else was just a it, it was a prop to to talk about how much they get along and how much they have fun. I did like the humor. Um, I thought it was hilarious how uh, Scotty knocked himself out on the ship. Um, <laughs> I liked the Scotty and Uhura angle, which I really wish they kind of explored more. Those two looked like they were friends and that that's where the love came from. I don't, I don't really see a romantic spin going there, but I can see an intimate friendship there. Uh, and, and really the whole thing was about friendship. The only thing they really didn't touch on was Chekhov and Sulu. Those two guys are friends. They went on leave together and all you got to hear was them kind of making fun of the opening scene saying, you can't hear me, it's a snowstorm. What's going on? Which is kind of cool, but, uh, and then the Klingons, I, that was the action. They said, hey, there's not enough action. We need to, we need someone to bail us out of this hole that we dug. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, of the overall show, or not show, but the overall film. So that's why I gave it a, a one and a half marshmallow. How about you, David? I'll say like two and a half. I, I think I like it better now than I used to because I think 
when you're sort of the, the, the anticlimactic ending has more impact when you watch the first thing. Oh, that's God. Yeah. <laughs> but now that you know, you sort of like appreciate the scenery a little more. And you, along the way, there's like bits of what could have been a better movie. But luckily, there's enough of that to, I think, make it worthwhile. You know, some nice character moments and, uh, you know, stuff like that. There you go. Cool. So, I'm sorry, what was your rating again? Two, two, two and a half. Two and a half? Okay, cool. Uh, Mr. Nigel. I, I thought I was not going to like this movie as much as I did. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. What were your expectations? I was expecting... I was expecting to go in and then to essentially watch bad acting, terrible music, and effects that really date it. I really like the original series, but I even I have to admit that it looks really dated nowadays. With mm-hmm. The effects are not that great. But in this movie, I think I think what you said, Sasha, was true. It's very much centered on the relationship between McCoy, Spock, and Kirk. But beyond that, it's almost like a to me, it's almost like a capstone of their relationship. It, it if I if this was my first experience with the original series, it wouldn't have much, as much of an impact on me. That scene where where McCoy sees his dad, it wouldn't have meant as much if, unless you knew that McCoy spent half of the original ser- series saying he's dead, Jim, and failing to save people. But, I mean, ad- admittedly, that's not not the greatest even in the original series movies. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to forget Uhura's dance. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I'm also going to give it three marshmallows, but I'll, but it, it was a it was a good sort of callback, callback movie. Shout out to the fans. So I'll, I'll take those marshmallows and put it on the horn of a unicorn horse. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well done, sir. Well played. Uh, you know, just kind of hearing the roundtable evaluation, the one thing that that w- I'm pulling back is something that Matt said, is that it seemed as though there was a lot of logistical difficulties actually filming this between the writer's strike, problems that the studio's having say, hey, we need to have this. Um, with the technical difficulties of shooting uh, when they were doing uh, the Yosemite, it just seems like, man, we got to cobble t- something together that's deliverable. And it, it was more of a, we got to get this done right now rather than we, we've thought this out. Well, there it is. Uh, you've concluded yet another episode of Shore Leave with us for Star Trek V. We thank you for enjoying uh, listening to this podcast as, as we've had enjoy uh, enjoyment making it for you. And again, big thank you to Angela for Skyping in with us. Angela, how can we tell people to find your program? Uh, my podcast is on the web at wonderwomanwordforpeace.wordpress.com. Uh, I have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that fun stuff. So uh, just go to my website. You can find links to all that stuff there. Uh, like I said, I'm currently on hiatus with a broken leg, but hoping to come back uh, sooner rather than later. But yeah, who knows? But you've got a back catalog of what, almost 40 episodes? Uh, 33, 34, yeah. Okay. Holy smokes. Well, well done. Yep. Uh, we uh, also please check out the Two True Freaks Network um, and also catch us on uh, Next Generation's First Generation, a uh, Next Gen Review uh, Watch Along series. With that, we'd like to say have a great day. Beautiful as Aphrodite. Wise as Athena. Stronger than Hercules. 
swifter than Mercury. Explore the 75-year history of the Amazon princess with Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, a monthly podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wonderwomanwarriorforpeace.wordpress.com. Oh, hi there. It's Rachel Bell, and I host the James Beard Award-nominated podcast, Your Last Meal. And my latest episode features William Shatner. We talk about his love for avocado toast, and you were conceptualizing a show called MILF, Mothers I'd Like to Feed. That's right. I, I, it's, um, I, I'm about to say something that doesn't want to look good, wouldn't look good in print. At 88 years old, Shatner is sharp and sassy, and he says whatever is on his mind. You can listen by texting the word SHAT to 98973, or listen to Your Last Meal wherever you get podcasts. Hello, Mike. Hello. So you're the guest. So Sasha, what's a Star Trek? Hi, I'm the guest. So Sasha, what is Star Trek? Seek us out at Next Generation's First Generation at iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. Music credits include Electric Car by Poddington Bear, Broke for Free. As colorful as ever. Airtone, recreation, Black Ant, James P. Funk 2, Cube 3, Noir Starlight Instrumental, Broke for Free, Night Owl, DJ Lang 59, Drops of H2O, The Filtered Water Treatment. Audio Engineering by Sasha Shouties. Chief Meme Maker and episode cover credit goes to Matthew Kirshner. Logo and graphic art design credit goes to David Clawwitter. And special thanks to Patrick Delmore for working with other podcasts to make sure the good word gets out. Do you have a podcast that you think people should be listening to? Send us your promos and we'll play them on the show. If you'd like to email the show... You can email us at nextgenfirstgenpod at gmail.com. I've been Patrick Delmore. And this is Sasha Shouties. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Good night.